Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, providing contractors, home builders, and many others with superior quality roofing products. Must be a scary edition of the Carolina Contractor Show based on the music. Hey, it's Eric Smith with you across from me, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard, and this is the Carolina Contractor Show. And today's subject, we're going to be talking about scary things that can be in your house or how to avoid scary things from happening to your house. Or just as important, if you're buying a house, things you need to look for before you sign on the dotted line because they could become a big old scary problem in the future. But first, go to a non-scary place, thecarolinacontractor.com. We have links to past shows there. You can download them. They're organized by subject. So if there's something specific you want to listen to, just scroll through, find it, download it, and listen to it whenever you want to. We also have links to our social media accounts. We've got YouTube up there, our Facebook page, also our Instagram page. We're at 7,000 followers on that. Thank you very much for everybody who connects with us and tunes in every week and sends us emails. Uh, Speaking of sending us stuff, Hit the Ask the Contractor button at the website if you have a question about your house. Doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you got ghosts in your basement or bats in your attic. Or maybe you have weird electrical issues where your lights flicker on and off. Probably not a poltergeist. Probably something simple. And we might be able to answer it with just an email or set you in the right direction. So Ask the Contractor. That button is at thecarolinacontractor.com. Now, as I mentioned earlier, today's show is going to focus on scary things about your house And these can be things that are already occurring that you need to take care of, things you can do to keep scary things from happening to your house. Maybe you're in the market for a new house. It seems like everybody's buying and selling. There's some things you need to look for, things you need to test for before you sign on the dotted line to get a house that you're not familiar with its past. So we're going to cover a lot of those subjects. But first, Donnie, you always search out odd things and keeping the Halloween theme. You found something interesting about real estate and building, right? I search for these articles related to home building all the time. And I saw this one and thought it was appropriate for this week. But apparently the housing market is, is so starved for houses and, and inventory that uh, there was a statistic that they came out with in 2020 that said uh, 59% of buyers would be okay with a haunted house or be okay buying a haunted house. And uh, that statistic was updated recently and that number jumped up to 73%. So uh, it's hard to believe that three out of four people wouldn't mind buying a house that's haunted and, you know, just getting that baby renovated. I'd have to know what the quote unquote haunted part (laughs) was. Was there an Indian burial ground on it or is there something that happened tragically or is it just a spooky house? And now that's perfect lead into today's show because your house might not be haunted, but it might be scary. There are scary things that can be occurring in your house. And that's what we're going to talk about today on the Carolina Contractor So let's kick this off, Donnie. What are some scary things? What's a a topic that's scary as a homeowner to find out? I'd say moisture probably ranks at the very top. When I categorize these things, uh, that was the the one most common thing that that we see a lot in uh, repair calls and and just just common problems with with the average house. So just uh, everything from gutters to plumbing in general, nothing more fun than walking down your hallway in your house and finding water is pooled because you've had uh, like a water heater. Right break or something like that. Right. So your house leaking like a sieve. Yeah. Right. Have you, do you know what that means? Leaking like a sieve? I gotta be honest. I just, <laughs> you know, yeah, I looked it up a while back and, um, basically, uh, when something leaks like a sieve, uh, it's 
saying that it's not supposed to leak at all. A sieve is actually a, like a wire mesh or a perforated metal utensil, and people used to use those for like straining or sifting things. So anything that leaks like a sieve is means it's not holding water. So imagine holding a strainer and turning the sink on, and the water obviously just goes through it. You don't yep. want that in your house. So what are possible reasons that you have moisture in your house? Well, from a Halloween standpoint, you know, some people attribute those cold spots in the house to a, a ghostly presence or something. Or funky, a puppy. But, right. Uh, and I'll categorize these into a possibility and what it more likely is and maybe even how we can fix it. But more than likely, you have a source of water intrusion that you're not addressing if you have a moisture problem. So like you just mentioned earlier, it could be a plumbing problem, uh, whether it be a supply or a drain. You know, both of those uh, could be potential leak points. Um, a roof is something that we see commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, a roof leak normally will show itself because it happens at the uppermost point of the house. And of course, gravity will bring it down and show it to you somewhere on the interior. A gutter, not so much. When a gutter leaks, you know, they're attached to the eaves. And of course, the eaves are usually set out on an overhang by about a foot or so at the minimum. Mm-hmm. And so when a gutter allows water intrusion into the house, a lot of times you don't really see it because you don't go outside when it's raining. Of course, that water intrusion over time will rot your fascia. And then what your gutters are actually attached to uh, won't have any substance to hold those screws or gutter nails. So of course, your gutters start to sag. And it's uh, it's just a, a problem that can get out of hand over time. The overflowing from the front side usually means you have a stopped up downspout, but uh, on the back side, it's usually a pretty good indicator that there's not a drip edge in place or just a uh, positive lap from the roof to the gutter system. Another thing you can look for is standing water. Uh, That usually means that you don't have positive drainage to the foundation, Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of times you don't stick your head under the house to see what's going on, but uh, if that water's flowing back towards the foundation, it could lead to all kinds of problems, uh, especially, you know, heaven forbid you have a crack in the foundation. And our exterminator, they come a couple times a year. They crawl under the house because we have a termite guarantee. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I have to check. And while they do that, they're able to check and see if there's any moisture. I can open the door and see under our house, but I'd have to crawl to check the whole thing. Well, they do that anyway, and they'll come out and say, by the way, your crawl space is dry too. So it's a like added measure of protection I get. Right. A lot of times we've had repair calls on older homes and they have basements and uh, they say, well, we can never get this basement dry. And a couple of these we fixed for 20 bucks because we go get a couple of those corrugated pipe as, as leaders from Lowe's, mm-hmm. just put an eight foot section at the bottom of the downspout. You got to take into consideration, you get all that volume off of the roof. And of course it's channeled to the gutters and the gutters channel it to downspout. So, uh, all that water's focused usually at one corner of your house or another. And if it's just dumping out right there at the foundation and doesn't have a nice aggressive positive drainage, uh, on the yard or the yard isn't sloped appropriately, then that could all accumulate around your foundation. And over time, that's going to uh, make its way inside the house. And, you know, an eight foot, $10 plastic corrugated liter is a really cheap fix for that. So let's address the humidity problems that come from excessive moisture. Humidity. And of course, it can have some structural implications too, if you, if you don't catch it in time. But uh, we'll dive a little deeper into humidity. And of course, uh, humidity comes from excess moisture entering your living space pretty much. And you don't really think about it this way, but your house produces a lot of moisture and people inside your house produce a lot of moisture. When you take into account, you know, cooking, washing, uh, bathing, if you exercise and just breathing puts moisture into your air and, you know, your family, pets included, if you could really find a way to measure this, they bring, you know, gallons of water into your house almost every day. And also moisture can get in through the sources that we mentioned before, like roof gutters. And so you just have to look at this picture as a whole and figure out if you do have a humidity problem, where that's coming from. One thing that we talked about, but we really didn't dive too deep on is Uh, the health implications from a humidity issue. And people always associate humidity with comfort. And so basically, if it's the humidity is too high, it's not going to be comfortable. But uh, the one thing they don't talk about very much is that humidity, uh, high humidity rather, uh, is a a really 
strong breeding ground for microorganisms, and, and those microorganisms are usually what are responsible for allergy problems, asthmatic conditions, and things like that. So high humidity could be a health issue that you never really addressed, and it could have been something that's been ongoing for a long time. I know we always give the reference of an oversized HVAC unit, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of these HVAC contractors will go in there and uh, instead of 600 square foot per ton, they'll just oversize it to make sure that you have plenty of heat and cooling ability. But uh, the problem there is that even though the house is nice and cool or nice and warm, uh, the system doesn't run long enough or it doesn't cycle long enough to take the appropriate amount of humidity out of the air. It cycles on and off too fast to do that. Right. So you think, well, I'll just solve this problem. I want to get the humidity as low as I can in my house. But the opposite can be just as bad if you have too low humidity in the house. So what are the things low humidity in turn can have? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, It's not as bad as the effects of high humidity, but... Uh, a lot of times your your skin can feel dry day after day, and this sounds silly, but it can you can have chapped lips, uh, dry eyes, and your itchy eyes. So you know uh, if you've got a coworker that comes in to work every day and it looks like they've been smoking something, or you know they got chapped lips, you know they may not have a drug problem; they may have a humidity That's problem. Right. So they pass the P test, you can say check your humidity. <laughs> but it's especially true in winter because there's not as much humidity in the air mm-hmm. as there is in summer. So. Uh, it's it's a lot easier to get your, hum- your humidity out of whack in the cooler months. Also worth noting, uh, airplanes and offices are kind of flagged as dry zones. So just being aware of where you are and if there should or should not be a humidity issue there. Yeah, and don't bugs and stuff love a nice humid area to live in? Oh, they flourish, and uh, dust mites especially. So uh, if you've got a spouse who's a thermostat Nazi and you know, <laughs> keeps, keeps the uh, temperature between 75 and 80 degrees, you can politely say, sweetheart, you know, if you didn't know this, that dust mites uh, really like that particular uh, temperature setting. And uh, also, really, it comes into play when you have a humidity problem and a higher temperature setting. So uh, they really flourish between 70 and 80 percent humidity, which is way too much for a, a residential living space. And mm-hmm. uh, I saw a cool fact on this is that mite populations, all mite populations stop growing and they die out when the relative humidity drops below 60 percent. So another reason to keep your humidity, you know, between that 40 and 60 percent mark. And air conditioning also has a positive effect on a house. Aside from keeping you cool in hot weather, it lowers dust. Yep. It lowers the ability for, like aforementioned, dust mites to thrive in your house. So, right. you know, AC is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. <laughs> Yeah, um, when you're since you said that, I'll just mention mold, and we'll dive into that in just a moment. But mold, they it loves humid conditions. So when relative humidity is above eighty percent, mold is uh, pretty likely to develop. They say about fifty percent of the time. So if you uh, have too high of a humidity, then you should probably look in for mold in certain areas. And I know this sounds funny because we live in our houses, but we sometimes don't look right in front of our faces. Mm-hmm. Go into your bathroom, and even with usually white ceilings and white trim and light mm-hmm. colors in a bathroom. Go into the area where the shower is and yep. look in the corners. And I've, it's good that this is the Halloween episode because I might scare somebody. They're going to walk into their bath. Somebody listening is going to walk into their bathroom and do what I say and look in the corners where their shower is and notice black dots. Right. And little pieces of mold. And it's starting because the shower usually, especially in winter, hotter showers, steam, right. it becomes just the perfect room for uh, mold to grow. So go ahead and take a peek at that and tackle it early. You said one time you had somebody used a, like a little brush and a little yep. bit of bleach and yep. would dab mold. Yeah, that's for sure. And it works in some cases, but uh, it's certainly a lot cheaper than having a mold remediation contractor. All right, Donnie, real quick. Uh, 
How do you even know what your humidity level in your house is? So if you want to test this or if you're suspicious that you may have a humidity problem, uh, the meter that they call it is called, I think it's a hygrometer. So it's H-Y-G-R-O meter. And the hygrometer, basically, it just measures your humidity level in the house. You do have to calibrate these when you get those. But um, the smart thing to do is not put it anywhere near a bathroom or kitchen because, of course, that'll skew the results. You also want to avoid putting it by a door or a window. Uh, Sunlight, uh, any kind of rain on the outside of that window could also throw the results off, and um, that should be able to give you a pretty consistent, accurate reading. All right, what's next, Donnie? Um, Structural issues. So um, basically, people use the word, they throw the word mold around probably too much for me, but um, mold can certainly affect the structural integrity if it's left unattended. And I've heard some contractors refer to mold as like a building cancer, and of course, it scares homeowners to death. But uh, in reality, it's really manageable, and it kind of needs to be addressed with common sense and not scare tactics. Because mold uh, is everywhere. People say, I've got mold in this room, but but mold spores are everywhere. It just needs the right conditions to grow. And I always tell people you have to have the three ingredients, which are, of course, the mold spores. You have to have moisture and usually sort of like a cellulose backer for it to grow on. A lot of times when you see an open wall cavity, it, it's uh, the backside of the drywall. The brown paper is a popular place for mold to grow. Is there anything you can do in like building a house or putting it in drywall to help it repel mold? Yeah, they actually have, uh, I think it's called MR board for moisture mm-hmm. resistance. And so um, in all the houses we build, we put the uh, purple or the green drywall in all the bathrooms and sometimes in the kitchen area. Doesn't really cost a lot extra or anything, but definitely cheap insurance if uh, you should ever have a moisture problem in those areas. So you got to make sure if you have a mold issue and you're going to take care of it yourself, you found a small area you need to get rid of some drywall, toss that drywall, uh, look for dry rot. And also there's the little meter you can buy from like Lowe's Mm -hmm. that you can literally, it's got a a sensor on it that you can poke into drywall and it'll tell you the moisture level of that drywall and you don't want any in your drywall. Right. So go ahead and cut it out and replace that. Do you remember the story that we told about a year or so ago about uh, the disposal that was never plumbed properly so it just dropped right into the crawl space? Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. That was um, kind of like the vapor barrier worked in reverse. So they did have a vapor barrier in there, but all the water dumped out directly there into the crawl space. So uh, the disposal was never connected to the plumbing. So everything that went down their sink for years and years was going right into the crawl space. Right into the crawl. And because it couldn't absorb into the ground because of the plastic there, uh, basically it just created this super humid, wet environment. And the mold uh, accumulated on their floor joist. And basically uh, the fungus that the mold is, it decayed and, and dry rotted their floor joist out to the extent that someone was walking across the floor and they basically just fell through the floor before they discovered the problem. So probably the most extreme case that I've ever heard. But a little bit of mold, uh, if you see something under your crawl space, it's just a marking and everything seems solid. It's probably something that you can treat and and not something to to really uh, spend a lot of money on a mold remediation contractor. I feel like that's totally DIY as long as the structural integrity isn't compromised. Just throw a couple gallons of bleach in your crawl space, you'll be fine. (laughs) All right, this is the Carolina Contractor Show at the halfway point. Today, we're talking about scary things that can happen to your house because it is Halloween weekend. And this is a very scary word, asbestos. And this is a big thing. I told mm-hmm. Donnie before, there's a guy who was an HVAC guy, and he switched over his business to just asbestos removal mm-hmm. because the demand was was so big on that. So what's one of the possible reasons on this special Halloween edition of the Carolina Contractor Show that you have asbestos in your house, Donnie. Right. Uh, the scary way to put it is, you know, your house is poisonous, and I've heard somebody put it that way, and uh, when they figured out they had asbestos in there. But let's just ignore the word asbestos for a second, and okay. I'll tell you exactly what asbestos is. If you don't hear the word, uh, it doesn't sound so bad. But basically, asbestos is a mineral that we find uh, naturally 
and it is flexible. It's resistant to heat. Uh, it's resistant to electricity. It's a re- it definitely corrosion resistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really, really good insulator. And the cool thing is when you mix it with other materials, it uh, adds to the strength of those materials. And uh, I can totally see why they got on board with asbestos back when they did. Um, and all those same properties I just mentioned are the exact same things that make it dangerous to your, a human body because it's so tough, your body just can't break it down. Mm-hmm. So when we hear these horror stories that somebody was exposed to asbestos, you know, and 20 years later, it manifests into some kind of disease or cancer. Uh, there's no way to really reverse the cellular damage that it does. So that's why people are treating it with kid gloves and, and really giving it a lot of attention now. Popular time it was traced back to is 1940s to the 1960s. And a lot of homes, it was just really common. If you have a home from that era, it's it's probably, uh, there are probably products in there that had asbestos in those. Well, you're a general contractor. So do you, is there training or do you know what to look for or do general contractors in, in general, mm-hmm. uh, no pun intended, know what to look for when it comes to asbestos? <laughs> yeah, I tell folks just, uh, they have at-home at test kits for this at the big box stores and they're $30, $40. And I think that's well worth it. And I tell everybody, test everything built before 1980 because you know, it was in everything in the 40s and the 60s, but then even fast forward 20, 30 years later, it was in uh, other things. And, and a lot of these things are, are products you don't think about. And, you know, something as simple as sweeping cobwebs off of the popcorn ceiling texture can make asbestos airborne and you can breathe that in. And I guess it's important if you have, you're buying a home to have it inspected for yeah. asbestos. That's definitely something that's a popular request with home inspectors. And especially if it's an older home, a home inspector uh, usually knows exactly how to test for this and they call that out. But uh, in the event that you do have asbestos, the asbestos abatement process is really expensive. Uh, those guys have to ha- carry some really pricey insurance to do what they do. So, of course, they have to pass that on to the cu- the customer. But uh, it's just not an easy process, and there's a lot to it. As a disclaimer, I'm not saying to do this, but if it's $20,000 for asbestos abatement and it's $5,000 just to cover the walls that you have with a thinner drywall or just re-drywall over and encapsulate that in- asbestos, Asbestos doesn't do any harm until it's airborne or ingested in some way, shape, or form. So I'm not saying to do that, but if it's five grand to do drywall mm-hmm. and paint and twenty grand for the abatement, uh, that that is definitely an option. All right, the special edition of the Carolina Contractor Show: Scary Things that You Can Find in Your House. Uh, the terrible sink stink. Mm. What could this be caused by, Donnie? Yeah, the uh, well, from a Halloween standpoint, you know, people might say, "Hey, might be a dead body under the sink." But could be a mother-in-law, probably. <laughs> Probably not. Um, the sink trap is normally the culprit in this situation. And um, I know we talked about dry traps and things before, but if you can envision underneath a sink, it's it's called a pea trap. So it's in the shape of a pea and it's turned sideways. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is when you run water down the sink, uh, of course, it has to go down and back up that pea to get out the drain. And there's always uh, a small portion of that water that accumulates there and stays. And the purpose of that is because of course, your drain is tied to your sewer system, whether it be a city sewer or a septic tank, and there are sewer gases associated with both that will make their way back up through the plumbing. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, if you have a sink that's, say, in a basement or just um, in, in a shop area that you don't use very often, right. those are the ones that will evaporate. So that, that water in that trap will eventually evaporate, and it doesn't have to evaporate all the way down. It just has to go below the P for that sewer gas to make its way up. So I'd say seven times out of ten, that's the problem. Uh, the other thing it, it could be is a blockage on your roof vent. So the way the plumbing system works and the way the water flows smoothly is when that plumbing goes down through the sink, down through the 
P-trap and back into the wall to drop into the drain, Mm -hmm. wherever the drop is, that same drop has to go up. So that's why you see these vents, the uh, white PVC vents coming out of the top of your roof. And uh, basically, it allows the water to flow smooth because as that water's flowing down, it's allowing air to come in. And Mm -hmm. uh, a blockage there will basically create a vacuum. So when you flush a toilet or run water in a sink and it can't breathe through the roof vent, it will suck the water out of that P-trap and, of course, allow the sewer gas in. So that's usually the other problem. Yeah, and then your sinks also have one, two, or three little overflow holes. Mm -hmm. And basically how that works, if you've never looked at it, some people don't even realize it. Say you've blocked your sink because you're going to fill up with water and then you get distracted. It's so the sink doesn't overflow. Right. And it'll just go back through those holes out. But that also is a way for things to come up. And, and there's cures for this. Yep. So if you got stink sink, what are some of the cures, yeah, Donnie? That's actually the same concept. The, the, I'm glad you mentioned the sink drain because it's the same concept as the vent. That actually, yeah. when, when your sink's running, it's it's allowing air to go through that sink overflow drain. Um, on the overflow, if you want to clean that, of course, it's a tiny little hole and most people don't notice it. But uh, you can clean that with a, a basically a baking soda and vinegar mixture and a pipe cleaner. I've also had somebody say a zip tie works pretty well. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's just rigid enough to go down and, and of course, get the blockage out of there. But... Uh, bleach is another alternative, and I always say if you have a septic tank, you don't want to use the bleach because it kills the good bacteria that your septic tank uses to break waste down. Yeah, I'm not on a septic tank, and I occasionally take a little cap full of bleach and pour down the sink to let it sit in there, usually at night, so it sits in that drain trap mm-hmm. all night and make sure it kills anything in, inside that standing water. And also, if you have drain flies, right. you'll look, they're little teeny bitty gnats, and you'll go, why are these in my bathroom? That's usually the reason. That's it. Um, I was fascinated when I understood how plumbing worked and how the vents and the P-traps and just how all the uh, sewer gas uh, prevention, and, and just it sounds really simple to me now, but when I figured it all out, uh, I got a book a long time ago, and they've updated it since. It's called How Your House Works. Yep. Got a and, copy. Oh, that's right. I did. I, Donnie I, gave me a copy of I it. I forgot about that. My son um, loved it. It's great. Yeah, it's very simple, and it's not so much a building science approach, but it's just a lot of common sense that's going on behind the walls that you don't you don't give enough credit to. That book had a thing on toilets, mm-hmm. and it said, "Look at the side of a toilet if you can, like at the at a Lowe's or something when they sell them, and you'll notice there's a strict, consistent design mm-hmm. on the toilet on the side of where piping can go and right. work." And it's all science related. It's right. not looks. It's how the way you want the water to flow, to drain, to fill back up. Yep. It, it's very amazing. All right. Uh, another subject on this edition of the Carolina Contractor Show of scary things in your house, flickering lights or no lights. What would be a possible <laughs> culprit for this, Donnie? Well, around this time of year, people might attribute that to supernatural electrical currents. So that could be your wiring trying to send you a message from the other side. Poltergeist. Probably not. So uh, there are tons of reasons why lights flicker. Um, it could be a lot of things, but I will say that this is a pretty serious issue that needs to be addressed. This ranks right up there with moisture and, um, you know, uh, none of these are good reasons and could be dangerous. So I always recommend, I'm, I'm not a great electrician. That's probably my least proficient area because I'm just afraid to mess with, exactly. with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can burn a house down. So Or yourself. Right. Um, but usually it's a situation where spliced wires come apart and it's just a poor connection. So of course you can check the connections on the flickering light and that's that's probably going to be the culprit. It could be that the house has aluminum wiring. That was super common in the 70s and it's really notorious for thermal expansion. So anytime you put heat on that wire, of course, it's moving, and uh, at the connection point, it has a tendency to to get loose. A lot of these have been replaced since then, but if the house still has aluminum wiring, I would definitely spend the money to have an electrician change all that out before you have a bigger problem. Um, if it's a light fixture, like a lamp, 
Uh, there's a term that we use say uh, that, that something's overlamped, so you use mm. a higher wattage bulb than what it's rated for. So it basically overheats the fixture. So it overheats the wiring, of course, the splices that connect it to the wiring. And those recessed lights, when you put an incandescent bulb in there and it's like 100 watts, mm-hmm. you do not realize how much heat generates. It's like an oven, right. and it can affect the wires, which are right above it. Right so above it, yeah. if you have those um, recessed lights or canister lights, I say replace them with LED. Yeah, I was going to say all that being said, that all these are, are usually common problems with the, uh, the light bulbs we had five, ten years ago. So yeah. LED is a really good fix for all of those. And then you have those loose connections. If you go up to a switch and you mm-hmm. hit it and the light comes on or it, you have to move it a little, yep. that's an easy fix too. Again, we are not recommending if you're not comfortable working with electricity, changing out a light fixture is not a difficult thing to do. So right. if you've got a switch that's either sticky or it just doesn't make a good connection, that's something you can go and spend 10 bucks on and get a replacement switch. And most people can DIY that right. thing for just their house. The breaker first. The breaker first, always <laughs> first. And and just, just there's so many great videos on how to do small electrical yep. repairs safely. All right, we got time for one more thing that's scary about your house, Donnie, and this is slamming doors. What could be the <laughs> culprit of a slamming door? Could be the ghost of your Aunt Margaret who hated drafts, and she's always wearing a sweater around the house, and she's trying to let her feelings be known. So Is now a window open in here? It's cold. <laughs> I feel a draft. Slam that door. But yeah, no, uh, lock it, too. More than likely, it's uh, a door that's hung out of plumb. So if you've uh, ever seen a door that you can just give a touch to and it, it opens or closes fairly easy, it's usually uh, where it's out of plumb. It, it's not in the jam correctly, so maybe it's an issue with the strike plate and the uh, latch, but uh, gravity is usually the culprit to swing that door open or shut. Mm -hmm. And people don't give enough attention to the pressure that's on your house. So like a steady wind on the outside of your house, it basically creates a low pressure. Yeah. And on the downwind side of your house, um, which is the opposite side that the wind's blowing, you know, it, it causes almost like a low pressure vortex. So, so basically if you've ever had the garage door open and you open the door to the garage and maybe the front door, and then it causes another one to slam shut. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's going on there. But um, A hammer's the fix, right? Yeah. Well, what you do is you take the hinge pin out of the door that seems to open and shut on its own, and you can just take a hammer and hit it right in the middle. Just put a slight, ever so slight bend in that hinge pin, and then take that same hammer and punch it right back down into the hinge. And normally that'll just create enough friction where it'll stop that. And that's uh, that's probably the easiest thing to do short of a trim carpentry fix. And of course, there's a couple hacks there that we could get into. But if that's the case, bending the hinge pin should do just fine. All right. We hope you enjoy this edition. If you want to listen to it later, you can go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, download the podcast. We have hundreds of editions of our show and the podcast form at that website. We also have the Facebook links and we'll get some questions. Hopefully again soon, you can submit those by clicking on the Ask the Contractor button at the website. Have a great Halloween. Hope it's safe and fun. And we will see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com. Brought to you by GAF. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply. Providing contractors, home builders, and more with superior quality roofing products. Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTop Roofing. That's SureTopRoofing.com.